you hypocrites, <laughs> Jesus says to the religious leaders of his day. It, Isaiah was talking about people like you when he wrote that the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You hypocrites. And then comes the reading we just heard, which kind of makes me chuckle because the disciples ask, um, do, Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees took offense at what you said? Now, maybe it's just me, but I kind of think he knew calling someone a hypocrite tends to do that. Of course, the disciples, just like us, don't really like conflict all that much, and so we don't really like it when Jesus starts offending people, do we? Especially the people that everybody else sort of looks up to. We tend to prefer the nice Jesus that makes everyone feel a little bit better, just like we like nice Christians and nice pastors that go along to get along, right? Only Jesus was not always nice. Sometimes he offended. Sometimes he was direct and even harsh. Apparently, Jesus was willing to offend in order to tell the truth. And he was willing to offend to go straight to the heart of things. And so Jesus tries to explain this to his disciples. Look, he says to them, our religious leaders, those people that you're afraid of offending, they are the blind leading the blind. And if they keep on leading, if they are the only voice that people have to hear, then everyone will end up falling in the pit with them. Well, the disciples, they still aren't quite sure they understand. Uh, offending the powers that be is not a very good way to build a large and influential movement, you know. Any more than offending traditional values is not a very good way to build a large and influential church. And, and so Peter asks, um, Jesus, can you explain what you mean by the blind leading the blind? And by this point, Jesus is sort of ready to throw his hands up in the air. A little exacerbated, Jesus says, you still don't get it? And now I kind of wonder if in that moment, Peter is, is a little afraid that Jesus is about ready to go off on him. I mean, I think I would be, just like Jesus just went off on the other religious leaders. And, and who knows, maybe Jesus is. Maybe he's ready to go off on Peter. Maybe sometimes he's ready to throw his hands up with me, with us. I mean, how often do you think he might look at us and say, you hypocrites, you're the blind leading the blind. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts, that's another thing. Which takes them and us really straight to the heart of the matter. Here in this moment, as in so many other moments, Jesus keeps teaching us that the heart is what actually matters above all else. Being right and doing things right and having the right opinion and the right politics and the right theology, maybe those are helpful and good, but they are not a substitute for the heart. Because when it comes down to it, what will affect the world around you the most and what God actually cares about the most is the state of your heart. Is it rigid 
or is it tender? Is it courageous or is it fearful? Is it open or closed? Is it taking and and self-protective or is it giving and, and protecting others? Is it vengeful or is it grateful? Is your heart me-oriented or is it God-oriented? Because what makes the most difference to how you affect the world around you will always be your heart. You see, this whole tense moment between Jesus and the other religious leaders, it it got started, if you go back and read a few verses before this, it, it got started over the disciples breaking some traditional boundaries, traditional rules about what it means to be a good person in their world. Rules that were actually about hand washing that were put in place for some good reason in their time. Now for us, even in the midst of a pandemic, I think it's actually really hard for us to understand how hand washing was this big of a deal for them. But to get really what was going on here, you have to realize that hand washing was actually about a lot more than spreading germs. It was a way of stopping a, a pandemic of godlessness. It was a way of preventing a sickness of the soul that could affect you and affect those around you. And it's really kind of complicated for us to go back and try to make sense of all that. So maybe, maybe one of the more helpful things we could do is think about how smoking and drinking and dancing were thought of in Baptist churches 50 years ago. I can't remember whether it was Nancy Thompson or Charlene Brown or someone else of their generation, but someone in our congregation once taught me an old saying that they grew up being taught. It was a saying that was drilled into the minds and the hearts of good Christian teenagers back in the day. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do which really made me laugh when I first heard it. But you have to think, well, why, why was that what they drilled into teenagers' heads 50 years ago? Why was that the thing that churches wanted them to know? Well, because in that time, those were the signs of something dangerous, something that could infect them and those around them, something that could lead them to the path of destruction, so it was thought. Now, we don't necessarily think like that in our time, but we do have the very same pattern of thinking in our time. It just looks a little different. See, it's always hardest to recognize our own taboos, but we have them, don't we? These moral rules that tell us if a person is good enough to date our kids or not, or if they're a good influence or a bad one. We, we have these moral boundaries and rules that tell us if someone is making choices that lead to life or if someone is making choices that lead to death. And here's the thing, there, there's some really good reasons for those boundaries and rules. Moral guidelines and religious guidelines, they are helpful. Even Jesus says so. Remember back in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, if you think I've come to destroy the law, you've got me all wrong. I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. This is what Jesus is always up to. He's always fulfilling the very point of those boundaries that we create, the reason they were put in place. But he refuses at the same time 
to let the boundary itself get in the way of that fulfillment because he's always keeping in mind the very heart of the matter. Or to put it another way, Jesus keeps showing us how easy it is for us to confuse the rule that is there to protect people's well-being, to confuse that rule with someone's actual well-being. Nadia Boltz-Weber, I think, puts it really well. She says that Jesus was loyal to the law, just not at the expense of people. And so Jesus, he keeps violating boundaries of decency to get to the people that are on the other side of that boundary or to get to the people who have been wounded by that boundary and who are separated from others, to the motherless, to sex victims, to uh, victimizers and victims alike. You see, here's the thing. The religious community in Jesus' day, just like the religious leaders 50 years ago, just like you and me so much of the time, has this way of confusing the law with the heart of the matter. And part of the reason that is, is because along the way, we keep confusing and mixing up purity with holiness. And purity and holiness, they're not actually the same thing. Purity is almost always about separation from something, someone, separation from. But holiness, on the other hand, holiness is about connection with, union with. I mean, think about the Trinity, for example. The Trinity itself is this union of three and one, not separation. It's interbeing of Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what holiness looks like, holiness within God's own self. And it's also what holiness looks like between creation and God. It's union with. And it's also what holiness looks like in humanity. It is union with God. It's union with creation. It's union with one another. But purity, on the other hand, is almost always about separation from someone or something, separating ourselves from those things or those people that are deemed impure. You see, purity by itself doesn't actually make us holy. No matter how good its intentions might be to protect us, purity, what it actually does, it's really good at making insiders and outsiders. It's really good at leading us to pride or despair, depending on where we fall on that purity boundary. But it's not actually so good at making us holy. And it's holiness, that connection, that relationship, that union with God and creation and one another that Jesus is actually always after. And here's the thing, the place where union is experienced and known for us humans, the very home of connection and belonging is the heart. And so Jesus tries to explain to Peter and to explain to us why he is so willing to be direct and offensive when we are mixing this up, and why he will call the, the leaders and religious leaders of his day hypocrites and blind guides, even though they're following all the rules and doing everything right. 
You see, Jesus tells Peter and us that the real problem here is the heart. Your hearts are far from me, Isaiah had said 700 years before Jesus' time about God's own people. Your hearts are far from me, Jesus says in his time about the religious leaders and community of his day. What actually corrupts someone is the heart. Jesus is teaching his disciples. You see, when it comes down to it, your heart, your inner world will determine whether you are living in open connection with God and with others, able to give and receive love, or whether you are closed off, wounding those around you and distancing yourself from God. And this is what I hope that you'll really hear from what Jesus is teaching us today, that you will always ultimately live out of the state of your heart. How you affect those around you and how your life will be shaped will most deeply be defined by your heart, no matter the rules and and the techniques or the policies that you are following. So, for example, if you are a leader in your workplace, if you are managing people, you can read all the leadership books that you want and go to all the seminars you want, and yes, some of those things will help you, but when it comes down to it, how you lead will fundamentally be shaped by who you are, by your heart, your inner life. And so if your heart is growing open and receptive and generous and gracious and compassionate, then you will lead a way that creates that kind of culture in your team. But if your heart is slowly growing reactive and self-protective and closed off and fearful, then you will lead from that place and you will create that kind of culture in your workplace or in your team. The same is true of teachers in the classroom. They will create that spirit in their classroom. The same is true of parents raising their kids, or even of church members serving on a church committee. You will bless or you will curse people around you. You will heal or you will wound the world around you, not just by following rules or breaking them, but according to the state of your heart, more than anything else that you do right or wrong. It is out of the heart that destruction flows, Jesus is teaching us. And in the same way, it is out of the heart that blessing and goodness flows. And so there's a kind of mantra that I have adapted over the years. It's one that Jesse and I have talked about on and off. It's one that I'm trying to let guide my life, and it's this. The greatest gift that I can give the world around me is a whole and healthy self. Let me say that again. The greatest gift that you can give the world around you is not being perfect. It's not being the very best at your job. It's not even just never letting people down. The greatest gift that you can give the world around you is a whole and healthy self. And that is true in every aspect of our life. The greatest gift that we parents can give our kids 
It's not just a trip to Disney World or a bigger house or the best schools. It's not even being able to pay for their college, as nice as those things are. The greatest gift that we can actually give them is a whole and healthy parent from which we interact with them, which means working on our hearts. And the same is true for me as a pastor. I try to remember it, although I don't always live from that place. But the greatest gift that I can give you, Dayspring, is not just another good sermon or an inspiring story, but is a whole and healthy self. And the same is true for you in all the spheres of your life. The greatest gift that you can give those people you love the greatest gift that you can give in your workplace, the greatest gift you can give to those in our community who are suffering from injustice is meeting them, meeting those challenges with a, from a place of wholeness and healthy heart. Everything else will flow from that because our ability to love and be loved, our ability to bless and be blessed, our ability, our very capacity for goodness and embodying goodness flows from the heart. That's what Jesus is getting at in this interaction today. It's why he's willing to call these respected leaders in his community hypocrites and offend them, and it's why he's willing to even cross the boundaries of decency when it's needed because it is out of the heart that everything else will flow, goodness and blessing. And it is from the heart that we are able to discover our deepest connection with creation and with one another and that profound mystery of union with God. Let's pray together. Oh God, you know our hearts better than we do. You see the bitterness that we hold, the scars that have created hardness, the fears and the self-protective reflexes that control us. And so we open our heart to you now. And we ask that you would come and you would do the work in us that only you can do. Resurrect that which is dead in us. Heal that which is fearful. And make our hearts beat at one with your heart. Through Christ we pray. Amen.